Welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel, and on this show, we explore the survivor's journey, practitioners making a difference, and the therapeutic treatments and transformational technology that allow the body to heal itself. Witness the inspiration we gain by navigating the human experience with grace, humility, and a healthy dose of mistakes. Because part of being human is being beautifully broken. Through my healing journey, I've become increasingly aware of the way environmental toxicity affects my body. In the past, I've tested high for mercury, lead, cadmium, glyphosate, and mycotoxins from mold. I've experienced this as fatigue, full-body neuralgia, and brain fog. And after years of trying conventional treatments, I knew I needed to ask different questions if I wanted a different answer. Now, around this time, I was introduced to the Ionic Foot Bath by AMD at an integrative wellness symposium. I came across this technology where people put their feet in water and over the next 20 to 30 minutes, ions are released into the water that assist the body to release toxins. Now, as you can imagine, I was very skeptical, but after my first session, I felt clear-headed, lighter, and actually a little high. As an avid biohacker, I was intrigued enough to invest in a unit. My N equals one experiment? Well, I've watched levels of environmental toxicity fall by 30% after about four months. I always just feel better after a session with consistent use, and this is a friend favorite. The second people walk through the door, Freddie, can I do a foot bath? Of course you can. Now, this is a heart-centered company. The support is amazing, and they offer a 60-day, 100% money-back guarantee. The Ionic Cleanse by AMD is safe, non-invasive, and it's an easy way to detox the body. The company is trusted by the Beautifully Broken Podcast as one of my top technologies to own in your home and support the body naturally. So reach out to Glenn at AMD today and see if it's a good fit for your home or your wellness clinic. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast. We're here with season three. I have a very special guest, Matt Odie, who is a fellow testicular cancer survivor. I've never done a podcast on testicular cancer in the two years and being my background. So I'm so excited to have Matt on to share his experience. Matt, welcome to the show. Awesome. Really appreciate it, Freddie. Um, excited to not just share my story today, but you know, a lot of my experience and really hopefully help your community through, you know, any challenging moments in their life as well. So thanks again, man. Really appreciate it. Of course. Well, I became aware of some of the stuff you were doing on social media. I had heard about the Facebook group that you had created to support other cancer survivors going through their experience, but it was very unique and different from any other groups that I've experienced, the tone and tenor of how people engage and the nature of just this very much all around acceptedness that you've cultivated there. So before we get into your story, can you tell us a little bit about the group and how you how you created that with that intention? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it was originally actually supposed to be a group for just young adults. And because I'm 29 years old, I was diagnosed at 24. So I was, you know, really in that niche. And the one thing I noticed was cancer is so challenging, but after cancer can be just as challenging mentally, emotionally, and physically as it was during cancer. And the problem is that a lot of doctors, nurses, or family members who've never actually 
gone through the exact experience, don't know the mental and emotional struggle that we face with scan anxiety, with PTSD, with just not knowing what is our next path in life. Because I'll tell you this, Freddie, when you go through a challenging experience, it doesn't have to be cancer for everyone who's listening, but if you do go through cancer and you come out on the other side, you are not just the same person. Everybody, like, I feel like our parents and some of our family members expect us to kind of go back to that same person we originally were. That's their goal is to get us back to that same person. But for us, at least for myself, I was like, I had this second chance in life. My time, energy, and attention in this world is totally different. My perspective on life is a completely different um, viewpoint. And I felt like I just needed to do something bigger with my life. And I said, you know what? I feel like I'm not alone in this. So before I even created the Facebook group for probably a good eight months, I was literally just hopping into cancer communities, hopping into cancer Facebook groups, seeing what people were kind of like struggling with. And that was a huge topic of what do I go next? Where's that next step after cancer? And how do I recover through this and have people I can relate to? And I said, you know what? It's scary. I don't know what's going to happen of this, but I need to do something to build a community. I want to be like that mentor because I've been, it took me two years after cancer to work on myself mentally, physically, and emotionally. So I said, you know what? I've done the rounds. I've done the reps. Now let's give back. And that's the power of really um, self-development. When you work on yourself, it allows you to give back in such a more powerful way. And when I created this Facebook group, um, it started off with 30, 40 people. And then people started to you know, interact. And then we started to get people referring each other. And then we started to build and build and build. And it's kind of crazy. It's kind of like it was stagnant um, for about two months at about three, 400 people. And then as soon as January hit, I really dove into the communities and we just skyrocketed up. And we're at over 2,000 members now in the group. And I started in October of 2020. And the whole premise of this group is taking action there's amazing support groups out there. Don't get me wrong. Amazing. But my main goal is to take action on what needs to be done to get back control of your life after cancer, because we do not want to let cancer define us anymore. It's okay to use cancer to progress us forward. But if you start letting it define you, that is where all the mental health and the physical challenges never let go in your life. And you feel like you're in this wheel in this stuck place that you just can't get out of. And the problem is, is the people who love us usually can't relate. So we need to have a community of people who can push each other. And when we're feeling down, we actually know that feeling of how we're, you know, feeling down in those um, circumstances. So it's been an incredible community. Um, once again, over 2000 members and it's growing daily. So um, just grateful to be that admin or mentor. Really. I look at myself as that mentor, that guide for a lot of people. And I want to continue to do that. So that's amazing, man. It's so inspiring. It's almost like sometimes you're speaking. I was like, oh, wow, I was there like I was there 10 years ago because I am I was diagnosed at 26 around, you know, similar, similar age. And we're here, however, many years later. And it's it's fascinating to feel the the evolution. As you said, you do the work so you can show up better for other people. That's very, very resonant with me. I think that as far as disease states, whether it's Lyme or cancer or mold, from my experience, what I've found is if we look at that, that initial event, that is almost like that catalyst for change, you know, working with, it's almost like this, you're working with, uh, it's like a wrestling match. And it, at some point you want to, you want the match to be over, right? We want to, we want to, we want to move on and take our lessons away and, and just drop that dropping the struggle. And I think that's, it's like these challenges come in 
for some reason, I have this wrestling match view right now in my, in my mind's eye that, you know, we use that teacher. And then at some point we have to make a choice to step away and go on to a new story match. Number two, uh, a new narrative, because I think, like you said, it's easy to be in this constant state of struggle where, I am just crushed under the weight of my diagnosis or my disease or the labels that I've gotten in, you know, whatever my experience has been with, with the medical system. hundred percent. And, you know, the biggest thing I've learned is, is our failures, our setbacks, our challenges in life is one of the only ways to actually truly have growth in our life as well. I'm not saying you have to go through these crazy experiences, but you need to go through difficult times in your life in order to actually grow. You don't really just grow through everything's given to you or all this success. You grow through the values, you grow through the difficult times because that's where the true lessons come into play. And you know, I've always looked at life this, Freddie, is, is everything in life happens for you, not to you. And what I mean by that is not necessarily everything in life is happening for you, but what it is, is how do you take a difficult situation and analyze it? You can do it two different ways. You can say, why is the situation happening to me? Meaning making excuses, blaming other people, blaming God or blaming whatever your faith is, it's going to get you absolutely nowhere. But you can have that mindset. Or you can take the exact same situation because people have been in the exact same situation and say, how am I going to learn from this? How am I going to grow from it? And more importantly, after I do this, how am I going to make an everlasting impact in some, it, it could just be a better father. It could be or mother, or it could be making an impact like we're making, getting out on podcasts, things like that. That's the power I'm going through the difficult times. Beautiful, Matt. I want to I wanna dive. I want to deep dive on your story. Let's go back to 24 years old. Maybe you can run us up into how you were feeling at the time, what your life was like before diagnosis. Absolutely. So yeah, I love starting my story. So I'm also a keynote motivational speaker. So I always love starting my story of actually when I met my girlfriend. And it was 2016, March 17th, so St. Patrick's Day. And, you know, we just met at a local pub and, you know, we started talking and next thing you know, I got her number that night. And throughout the summer and spring, you know, we started dating around May, June, and we started doing all these summer activities. You know, we're going hiking, we're going kayaking. At the time, I'm a personal trainer, very healthy, you know, working out six, seven days a week. And then all of a sudden, I started to notice these minor back pains. And at the time, you know, I was like, ah, it's probably just from lifting. I'll be all right. And it just kept progressing and it just kept progressing. And as a, as a young adult, you know, you, it's very easy to think you're invincible. You know, I'm really trying to speak to a lot of the young adults here is if something is just off, it's okay to go get checked up. Do not be afraid. Go get it checked up because you would rather get it sooner than later. And I was that stubborn person that just would not do it. Lauren would, you know, want me to go, which my girlfriend, my parents would want me to go to the doctors. And I just wouldn't do it until one night. It was about two and a half months into my relationship, I was over Lauren's house and uh, I ended up waking up and I ended up puking up blood that night. Got rushed to the emergency room, found out that I had lost two thirds of the blood circulating in my body, which is equivalent to being shot with a gun. Got rushed in because they didn't know it was causing the bleeding. They gave me six bags of blood, got rushed into an emergency surgery. And the next morning, you know, I woke up, doctor walks in and he has just this blank stare in his eyes. And I knew like, okay, this, there's obviously something massive going on. So he comes over to me, sits down and uh, he grabs my hand. He goes, Matt, we, we have found an 11 centimeter tumor in, uh, in your small intestine. We believe it is cancerous. We don't know what type of cancer yet. And we have to rush you to the main campus of the Cleveland Clinic immediately. And the Cleveland Clinic, you know, is 
30 minutes from me. I was at a local hospital and it's one of the top hospitals in the country, which I was very blessed to be there. So they rushed me there, do a bunch of tests. And that's where they found out I had stage three C testicular cancer. Before that though, when I finally got the news, it was just me and my parents. So nobody else knew they took me in and I just remember looking over at them and, and, you know, I saw them, you know, obviously crying and everything. And for me, maybe it's because I was in so much shock, but I kind of like went into this survival mode of like, okay, I, <laughs> there's no way I'm giving up obviously. And I'm not going to let my, I'm not going to let this situation. I'm not going to start thinking the worst right now. And for me, I just felt like I need to be strong for them. I need to be strong for when I have to share the news to Lauren and all my friends and family. And, you know, I kind of just put this warrior hat on at first and you would think that's a good thing, but it actually was probably just building more and more stress. And, um, you know, a day goes by, two days goes by and I'm at the clinic now and people are starting to come in and finally Lauren arrives and man, dude, I just, I just let it all out. Like just started bawling my eyes. I was, first I was scared cause I didn't know if she still wanted to be with me. We were only dating for two and a half months. So to put that pressure on her was a lot. And, um, she didn't even flinch. And for me, man, like to let go of those emotions was everything. And I think for, especially our guys, like guys out here, we love to hold our emotions. We love to hold our challenges in because we think we need to be that strong individual for other people because we have this perception or this persona on us, but it's just the total opposite because all that does is every time you hold something in, it's like an extra pound of baggage that's laid on your shoulder more mental health, more anxiety, PTSD, feeling like we're not good enough, feeling like we're unworthy because we can't express what we're going through. And when I finally was able to do that, even though I knew there was a journey ahead of me, it was like a million pounds lifted off my shoulder, man. So all that put together, you know, I think that's a very powerful message for, for a lot of guys out there. You know, if you want me to keep going, I'll, I'll kind of just keep sharing my journey. Yeah, keep going. Let's let's get in it because I know it gets hairy here. It gets real crazy. So before we get to the crazy parts, immediately they put me on five rounds of chemotherapy. I'm on what's called BEP. You might know from testicular cancer. I don't know if you went through it. Okay, you know the BEP. Yep, and uh, super intense drugs. Within a week and a half, I lost my hair. I was crazy fatigued. Couldn't get out of bed. I would say one of the biggest mental challenges that hit me was third round. I was totally beat up and me and my three-year-old puppy were, he, he was diagnosed with cancer just before I was, I was taking him to all his chemo sessions. He's like my best friend. We we're balanced together and he ended up passing away at three years old. And it was like devastating for me because it was just like my best friend and partner. So that hit me kind of hard. And I started to go into this excuse mode. So you think, Oh, I'm all strong. I'm looking at life is happening for me. And then I get this setback and I'm just devastated. And for about a week, I just didn't want to do anything. And I think a lot of people can relate to this where they get it. They think they're going forward and then they get three steps backwards and it just like devastates you. And that was me for a while. And eventually I just kind of said, you know what, this is getting me absolutely nowhere. And is this what anybody in my life would want me to do is just start giving up on myself. So what I did was I picked myself up and I did one thing that I could do to progress myself forward each day. Maybe it's just getting up and walking that day. Maybe it's eating a little bit. Maybe it's just making sure I get my ass to chemotherapy, things like that. So it's one little thing every single day. So I kept progressing, kept progressing, finally finished chemotherapy. And when I finished chemotherapy, I'm thinking, okay, awesome. I have a, a surgery ahead of me um, and then I'm done. And um, so I go to my oncologist, he sits down with me and he goes, Matt, we found, you know, we, we have good news and we have, we have bad news. Now the good news is 
the tumor has shrunk from 11 centimeters to three centimeters, which is I'm like, awesome. Great news. I'm like, so what's the bad news? And he goes, but your, your tumor is wrapped around what's called your inferior vena cava. And that is like a central vein that goes from the bottom of your upper body to your heart. And he goes, we're going to have to do a 12, a 10 to 12 hour surgery with four separate surgeons involved. And we have no idea what the complications are going to entail. And, you know, I scheduled my surgery two weeks out and it was the longest freaking two weeks of my life. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to like get it over with. So the day comes, um, you know, I get there. I'm about, I've lost about 40 to 45 pounds from chemotherapy. So I'm, I was 185 pound personal trainer then now about 140 pounds, lost a lot of muscle. I get into the surgery. It was 11 hours. I come out and it was three, two days later, I come out like because it, it was just such an intense surgery. And I remember, and I, I couldn't move for like two days. And I remember looking down at my stomach and my whole body was just swollen. And when they finally got me on the scale to see how much I weighed and I could get up and stuff a couple of days later, I was close to 200 pounds of swelling. So I gained about 60 pounds of swelling. And the doctor said, no, this isn't normal, but it should. They had a drain tube. It should drain. It should be okay. So a week goes by. They find the release from the hospital. Another week goes by. And all of a sudden, the draining just stops. Just like that. Just stops. I'm in so much pain. They had me a Percocet, Oxycontin, everything. None of it. Didn't work at all. Get rushed to the emergency room. Get put into um, ambulance. Get to the Cleveland Clinic. They find out that they have to drain seven liters of fluid out of my stomach. As they're doing so, my body goes into what's called compartment syndrome. It completely shuts down. I have complete kidney and liver failure. I have a cone drill inside my head to relieve potential drains or brain swelling. I had a catheter in my neck. I had a catheter in my chest because I thought I was going to be on dialysis the rest of my life. And I ended up falling into a two-week non-induced coma in the entire process. And... You know, throughout that coma, I do want to share a story. If it's all right, I, I will, um, would love to share a story of just faith. You know, I'm not pushing faith on anybody, but it is a vital part of my journey. Speak your truth, Matt. Speak your truth. Cool. So really powerful story. My mother, super big into faith, we're Christian, and she would host these prayer services to, to our local church and hundreds of people come. She hosted three prayer services. And while I was in that coma, it was only Lauren and my two parents that were really like there every single day. So never left that room, by the way. And each day, Lauren would come up to me and she'd hold my hand and just wait for me to wake up. And I'm not even kidding, Freddie, in the middle of the last prayer service, as hundreds of people, not just in that place was praying for me, but they had people around the world praying for me. Dead smack in the middle, as Lauren's holding my hand, as they're praying, I wake up from my coma. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm up and everything. No, but Lauren felt my fingers wiggling. She rushed over to the surgeon or the, the doctors, the nurses. And they're like, there's no way he's up. Like, this just isn't like, it can't be true. Get the doctors in, find out that I'm awake. And for me, that was God basically saying, listen, Matt, like, this isn't the end of your journey. Like, this is just the beginning of my journey for you. And um, for me, I had a breathing tube shoved down my throat. So I'm like, I could talk or anything. I was yellow and jaundiced because of all of the kidney and liver failure. I forget which one it is. It's either kidney or liver that creates that. And man, I was just like beat up. So, you know, a week goes by, they go to take out the breathing tube. I'm making some progress. I'm talking a little bit. And they're like, okay, we're going to also take out one of the catheters in your neck because, you know, you don't need to have both of them. As they do this, I end up having what's called an arrhythm heartbeat. I end up going to cardiac arrest. They have to do eight minutes of CPR on me. And I fall back into another one-week coma where they actually sedated me this time. 
So I flatlined, I coded, and they had to bring me back to life. And that's when, you know, I had fallen into another weak coma. And uh, it was about a 0.00001% chance of that ever happening. And of course, it happens to me. So uh, I wake up, you know, I'm now in the ICU for over three weeks, almost close to a month now. It's now Valentine's Day. So I had my surgery early January. I was in the hospital mid to late January because of the complications. It's now February 14th, Valentine's Day. I'm waking up, I see flowers and hearts everywhere. And I go to move. I go to try and move my hand or whatever. I don't know. By the way, I have no freaking idea what's going on. All this shit happened in so much time. So go to move and I can't even, I can barely move my fingertips. And right there, like I realized that day, I had to completely relearn to live my entire life again. And I'm not even kidding you, it took about two and a half weeks to get me from just laying in my bed to taking my very first steps again. And we had four nurses every single day coming in to help me through this process, plus my parents and Lauren and everything. Eventually I get out, um, at this point I'm four surgeries into because it took three surgeries to move, remove all the fluid from my stomach. And by the way, I have a, a massive cut from my left hip to my right hip. So they get me out, they get me into a recovery room. I'm in the recovery room for three to four days. I'm making some progress, but man, dude, I knew something was wrong. Like there was just this weird feeling that I wasn't ready to, to get out of you know the hospital yet. And they're like, well, we want to get you out of this hospital ASAP. So they were bringing me into my last stage of physical therapy. And hopefully I was going to get out of there within like three to four days. Literally, as they're wheeling me, not in a wheelchair, in my bed, as they're wheeling me out, I look down at my stitches, pop open, my spleen sticking out of my stomach. And I have to get rushed into a fifth major surgery where they had to do what's called an open wound surgery on me. It had to leave a football-sized mesh on my stomach. And I'm back in the ICU room, man. Oh, yes. So this time I now like back then I was so delusional. I was so drugged up and I was starting to actually like get to it because I was like in a recovery room. So I knew where I was kind of when I woke up. I didn't know exactly I was in the ICU room, but I knew I was like, okay, shit happened. And I had, this was the scary part. I had my hands and my feet tied to the bed because I could, I had the strength to now kind of move around and they didn't want me touching my wound and a breathing tube in my mouth. So for two days I was awake, but they didn't technically know I was awake. And I had to sit there for two days and listen, man, like that's where honestly, it was actually a big life-changing moment for me. I feel like I was at rock bottom at this point. I want to talk about rock bottom because a lot of us will face that type of rock bottom, not, not where I was at, but like a lot of us will face a rock bottom moment in our life. And, and I literally remember looking at, at the ceiling and I was just praying. And I said, listen, you, you can take me now. I'm done. I fought as hard as I could, or I'm in the lowest point of my life. And guess what that means? You can only go up from here. And I had this like unwavering strength just come through me, man. It was unbelievable. And as they took off the, I say my shackles, but they undid the the ropes and they took out the breathing tube. That day I got up and dude, I walked further than I had ever done previous to any of the ICU room walks or the recovery rooms. I was out of that ICU room within like three days. And then I was finally on to my um, last stages of physical therapy. So with physical therapy was learning to sit on a toilet, everything we take for granted, sitting on a toilet, getting up off of a bed, taking one step on a staircase, anything. And I ended up being in the hospital for 53 days. I was in ICU for 40 days. During that period of time, Lauren and my parents never left. When I say never left, never left. Literally, they were 
like there every second unless Lauren had to go to work. That was the only time. And she had her birthday during that time. She had Valentine's Day. Remember, we weren't even dating for a year yet, dude. It was crazy. And to have that support, it was almost like an angel brought down for me. It meant everything to me. And, you know, I had amazing friends and family come in as well. But really, here's another really cool and powerful story. The day I was released from that hospital was March 17th of 2017. Exactly one year from when I met Lauren. Coincidence? I don't think so. I know for a fact that, first off, that's a a very special day for us now. You know, we're both Irish and things like that, but also like just a super special day. And she, you know, I guess my, my point in all of this is who is, I want people listening to this, who is that person in your life that you know when things get real difficult and real dark, they're gonna be there for you and you know that. And a lot of the times we might take that person for granted. And I did that for a little while until I started to recognize it. And if you know who that person is, I want you to go out and just share how much you appreciate them in your life today. Not only will it make your day better, but it will make their day so much better as well. And I think that was a big lesson I learned was appreciate the people that you know when things are getting really challenging in your life. They aren't going to back down. They're going to be there every step of the way. And, um, you know, my, between my parents and her, that was no doubt those people. So, yeah. Incredible. I mean, incredible, incredible, incredible. It really gives me a sense of incredible honor to be here sharing time with you. You know, you've literally been on, on the other side. There is so, Matt, there's so many weird, weird, weird synchronicities that literally, I was my big surgery. This is the retroperitoneal lymph node dissection, March 17th. Wow. <laughs> is that crazy? You kind of give me chills. Like, that's crazy. Same shenanigans where my belly filled with fluid. And it was like distended. Like I have this picture on my Instagram. I just posted it. It's like the staples are like, help us. <laughs> they're like They're like pulling apart. And same thing, tumor wrapped around the via- inferior vena cava. No way. I mean, really? Yeah. Really, really insane. Very, very, very similar progressions, surgeries, complications. Mine is just different spread out over the next 10 years, but it's very, very similar. You know, that belly you're saying, like, I remember how my body felt, that distension of fluid, and the doctors continued to come in and be like, you're doing great. You're going to, and it wasn't going down. And so what happened with mine is I was laying in bed one day, and then my mom's there. Of course, my mom slept in a chair for two weeks, never left. Just she's my angel for sure. And a nurse came in to check my dressing and it burnt. My belly button blew open and it started to geyser from my belly button all the way to the foot of the bed. And I was freaking out because it's like, you know, the fluid is red because it's a drop of, you know, it's essentially lymph and lymphatics and all this swelling, this fluid that wasn't absorbing back into the intestines because they weren't awake yet. Like you, it's called third spacing, actually, when you go through that surgery and the fluids don't absorb into the digestive organs. So the body's just not turned back on. And everybody's just said, let it drain. And I can tell you, I was so, I was like literally watching myself. I'm like, I'm bleeding out. I like, I was thinking, I'm like, I'm dying. And it was just like a four foot geyser was shooting all the way to my feet. And Matt was ours. Hours. It was out. We eventually went down to the, they put a blanket over it and they wheeled me down to an MRI just to, and I remember the whole sheets, my whole bed was soaked with blood. And I remember rolling by little kids, like in the hallway being like, oh, he's dead. 
Like they were so scared. I will never forget that in my whole life. And my mom, you know, but it's so crazy. I know exactly where you were. I know exactly what it feels like to have like the belly and the tubes and the ports and the tube down your throat and you can't talk. You're just watching people come in and out. You know, there's this really interesting story. I'd love to hear your take. I, I started to like dream about food for two, the two weeks where the tubes down your throat, you know, you're just, they're just sucking the digestive juices out. You're just getting the, you know, you're getting the IV nutrition, but I would watch people come in with coffee. I'd be like, Oh my God, if I could have a cup of coffee again. And then like, there's a Raymond, everybody loves Raymond happened to be on the TV all the time. They're always making chocolate milk in the, in the, in the, in the kitchen. I was like, Oh my God, I want milk. Don't even know. <laughs> Hi, friends. I hope you're loving this show. Let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. One of the consistent biohacks in my home is red light therapy or photobiomodulation, if you want to sound fancy at a dinner party. Now, red lights have been clinically shown to help with a plethora of health benefits, including increased energy, better circulation, increased testosterone production, workout recovery, hair growth, and even help with fine lines and wrinkles on your skin. There are even multiple studies showing benefits with Alzheimer's patients. Personally, this is something I recommend for most of my clients to have in their home for its incredible benefits and relatively low cost. Now, from my research, LightPath LED continues to innovate their designs, and they include multiple wave panels and pulsing. With this initial research showing a greater depth of penetration and benefit to mitochondrial health, which, if you're a fan of the podcast, you know this is the moving target when it comes to wellness. Mind the mitochondria. So, check out lightpathled.com and use code BEAUTIFULLYBROKEN, all lowercase, for a 10% discount in the checkout. The inventor and founder, Scott Kennedy, is a true gem of a human being and stands behind every light that he sells. This is a beautifully broken podcast, stamp of approval, five stars. Now let's get back to the show. Tell me what it was like to have people come in and out of the room and observe because it was like life's going, everybody else is normal. And you're like, guys, I'm dying over here. So tell me what was that like to be the witness? Yes. Oh my dude, when you said that, it brought back so many memories. I was like the most deceiving person of all time. Dude, I would I would have my mind because I was for 53 days I couldn't drink anything. It was all liquid IVs. So it was terrible. And I would literally when I could like talk to people and stuff, I'd mock because I knew a friend was coming that day because she would tell me, or Lauren's coming home from work and things like Lauren knew I couldn't get any liquid in me. But my friends didn't, dude. I would get and I'm on the phone. I'm like, mom, I really want to call my friend today. Like, I know he's coming in, but can I talk to him? Get on the phone, and I'm like, Joey, what's going on, man? He's like, Hey, dude, I, you're talking to me? I'm like, Yeah, man. Like, my mom's holding the thing today, and I'm like, Hey, dude, and I would like whisper in the phone, like thinking my parents were in here. I'm like, Can you bring me a, a glass of orange juice when you get here? Like, of course, man, no problem, dude. I would do it to everyone with nurses when new nurses would come in, anything. I'd be like, hey guys, you know, I know, I, I know I I I probably I wouldn't even say I shouldn't have it, but I'm like, hey guys, like I knew if it was a new nurse, I'd be like, can you can you give me just like a small thing of orange juice? Or I was fixated on orange juice and water. Any of those two, because I was just like, whatever I want. And dude, I was the same way, man. I was like convincing people. And one time 
a nurse accidentally did give it to me and I puked it up everywhere. And my dad was pissed. He was like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. But trust me, man, that is probably one of the most mentally challenging things to do when you're in it. Like, unless I was completely drugged up, which for half of it, I was, so I didn't even know what the hell was going on. But the other half, when I was like, to it and I couldn't do anything about it. And you had to, you might have had it this way too, where they had to put sponges in your mouth and shit, like with for water and moisture. Oh my gosh, yeah. And they'd had a they they shot stuff up my nose because that was the way of getting I had like this big long tube in my nose, and they would put this nasty stuff in there to give me the things. And dude, I had things in places you don't want to know so like it was terrible you know what it's like i know i know i know the tube you have a tube coming in and out of every hole in your body for somebody who's never been in a long-term um care facility like that you know i i'll share one more story and then i want to get on to i want to get on to some recovery some recovery hacks that you did you know like you i would crave liquids And the tube that goes down your nose into your stomach for people who are listening, it's called an NG tube. And what the NG tube is essentially doing, it's it's sucking the stomach acid out because your bowels are asleep. So you can't have the stomach acid collecting in your body, you know, adding to the inflammation. You've got to get it out. So I had figured out, I was like, oh. Well, the NG's tube sucking out like the stomach acid. Well, then it's just, if I can't drink, I'm just going to drink it. And the NG tube will suck it back out. So somebody left my room. I'm like, there was a Powerade, a blue Powerade on the table. I'm like, I was like, push that over here. I'm like, I just want to taste it on my lips. I just want to taste it on my lips. And so, dude, I went nuts. I drank the whole thing. And like, there's a bucket on the wall. It, this is really gross. It's connect, collecting all the stomach acid and it was blue. And my doctor walked in and he flipped out. He was like, you will be in here two more weeks. If you ever do that again, he's like, you're going to kill yourself. But I, I had no control. I was just like, I just need to feel the taste of moisture on my lips or I'm going to go insane. Totally. I know it, dude. Oh my gosh. Wait, wait, this is so crazy how similar, like, certain experiences and timelines for us are. It's just absolutely wild. Well, your story, I mean, listen, I it's absolutely incredible what you went through and what your body came back from. I want to hear what you started to do that was different from before because you were in great physical shape. So was I. I was most ripped I've ever been in my life when I got cancer. But I want to know what you did to, to really rebuild your body above and beyond you know what was offered to you because standard PT, like you said, it's sitting on a toilet. It's stepping up on a step. It's not building the body back to this, you know, optimal state or an idea that you held before. So what did that look like for you? Exactly. You know, you hit the nail on the head. The most challenging part was finally released from that hospital. I was now 110 pounds ready. So I lost all that weight. And you know what it's like when you don't get any, any food in you, you don't get any liquid, like you lose weight real quick. And for me, I went from that 200 pounds to draining all that fluid to not eating or anything. I was 110. I was skin and bone. Man. I was a skeleton in eight months, dude. I went from the most fit I'd ever been in my entire life, just like you were saying, to now a skeleton. And not only was that physically draining, it was mentally draining, man. You look at yourself and you're like, holy shit, like I got a whole entire journey ahead of me. And you want to know the most challenging part for me was when I was out of that hospital. I didn't have the nurses and doctors every day walking in and saying, all right, Matt, it's time to get up. It's time to go for that walk. It's time to do this. You know, my parents and Lauren were a little more lenient at times. Lauren was actually pushing me probably more and I I hated it, but I needed it. And dude, for about a week and a half, I'll tell you right now, I fell into that excuse mode again, man. And you know what ended up happening to me? 
Um, I didn't take care of my body. And about a week and a half after that hospital, I got rushed back into the emergency room because I had a standing heart rate of 150 beats a minute. My blood pressure was through the roof. My temperature is at 104 degrees because my body was starting to shut down again because I wasn't taking care of myself. And I was there for about two, about four days. They got it under control. I get home. And this is the most probably life-changing experience I had throughout this journey. I sit down with Lauren and basically our discussion came to listen, Matt, if you are continue on this path, you will not be here next month, period. And it was not a mean conversation. It was what I need to hear. I bawled my eyes out for about an hour. And then I took a 180, man. And here's exactly what I did. I literally went into my, you know, where I was at in my house in the basement. My parents have a little gym down there, picked up a five pound dumbbell that day. And I did a freaking bicep curl. I did it for like 15 minutes. That's all I could do. That's all I could do. You know, I did the next day, I did the exact same thing. And then uh, maybe instead of walking 25 meters, I walked 40 meters that day. And dude, it is one day at a time, brick by brick, figuring out where you need to go by adding certain things to your lifestyle. So for me, it was eating a little healthier, getting up and moving and getting strength in me by doing my weight training. And slowly but surely, started to gain the weight back. I started to get a little bit healthier. I started to be able to walk a little bit further. Within two months, man, I was now 130 pounds. Within four months, I was 145 pounds. Um, and I was gaining this weight, and, but not just, you know, I'm not just gaining the weight. I was gaining my strength. I was gaining my mindset back too, because I had to make that shift in my mindset. I think anything, anytime you are trying to make a drastic change in your life, it starts up here and in here, your heart and in your mindset. And if you're not mentally prepared to, to embark on this journey, anytime a setback occurs, you're just going to fall right back into that same terrible habit. As a personal trainer, man, you know what? I've seen so many people are so dedicated for two, three, four months. One thing happens. One thing done derails them for the next six months. And then they asked me, well, Matt, I was working out for three months. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. But then you took six months off and you want to know why? It's because you weren't mentally prepared. You need to be prepared when setbacks happen that you learn from them and you continue to push forward. It's okay to take a couple of days off, but it ain't okay to take months and you know weeks and months off. So I just was consistent, man. Consistency is key, dude. Consistency, never giving up and just keep pushing, um, pushing forward. And I guess there's a cool thing that I learned from one of my mentors is your will to win can never be bought. Don't ever let your will to win be for sale. And what that means is people have a price. If it, it, you know, a certain setback or a certain amount of money or a certain X, Y, Z, and they're ready to give in. Don't ever let your will be for sale. Your will to win be for sale. Continue to push forward and continue to be a better version of yourself. And that's what I did, man. And here's a really, another cool story. You want to hear a cool coincidence? Get to the hospital uh, about six months later. I'm now like, I'm, I'm cool. I'm like 145, 150. I, and I don't even think I'm 150 at the time. I'm like 145. And I'm, I, fin I see my oncologist. I'm now like, six months cancer free and I'm all pumped. I'm like, I'm going to see my ICU nurses because I want to show them I'm doing great because every single one of them knew me. I get there. Very first person I see was the guy who saved my life when I went to cardiac arrest, the first responder. We start hugging, we start crying and he goes, comes up to me and he goes, Matt, I'm not even supposed to be here today. This is my last day in the ICU. They had to put me in because somebody got sick and I'm moving to a different hospital tomorrow. 
we are still in touch. We're still friends. We have our, our numbers, social media. Listen, man, like there's no, I had no explanation for that kind of stuff. So it was just a really cool experience. Remember how I told you I had a wound on my stomach. That was a massive challenge as well. So the biggest thing is when they did that wound, I don't know about your stomach, but they had to actually take out all of my abdominals. So I don't have, I have a massive lump on my stomach and that made it really challenging to do certain activities. So it first took an entire year for me to heal my wound, but I figured out which exercises I could do, which exercises might take me a little while and which exercises I just say, Hey, listen, I probably just shouldn't do it. But you know, one of the biggest thing is, is I'd never put a, a limitation on myself. I never was going to be stupid and just go out and do crazy things to hurt myself, but I'm not going to give myself limitations because the second you give yourself limitations is the second that you have this weakness in your life. And when another thing comes up and you don't even give it a shot, when it could have been a breakthrough in your life, that's what happens. So don't ever put limitations on yourself when it comes to progressing in certain areas. So I'll tell you right now, man, it, that first year was crazy challenging because it was me and I had one physical therapy for three months a week. That was it. Just one nurse would come in one time a week for three months. And I had nurses for about six months changing my wound back. because I had to change it every couple of days. So after that year, man, I was getting my strength back, but it took me another year to really emotionally control myself through the cancer. Cause I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of PTSD and a lot of self doubt in my life. And I had to really work through it. And you want to know what helped me? It wasn't actually going through cancer groups. It wasn't going through support groups. It was surrounding myself with entrepreneurs. Here's why. I know it sounds weird, but what an entrepreneur does is they take a massive problem, they solve it, and they use it to impact other people. And I said, listen, I don't freaking know what I want to do with my life. And the second I started sharing my story, getting myself out there, being around positivity all of the time, support groups are amazing, but there's also a lot of really difficult times in there. And I wasn't ready for that yet to just constantly be seeing people going through this and that and this and that. I needed to be around people who were really uplifting, really positive and helping others. And I knew that was like part of my journey. So as I started sharing it, they're like, you need to get your story out ASAP. And it took a while. It took about two years, man, to, for me to get the courage to even share my story. And eventually I did. Eventually I started getting in front of people, started helping others. And that's what really ultimately led me to, you know, in 2019, I started speaking. I started getting on stages and then obviously COVID hit. So I started doing Zoom and I started getting on a lot more podcasts and doing some virtual stuff. And then that led me to saying, listen, I need to monetize this. And I started to say, okay, well, what was the biggest challenge in my journey? And exactly what we started off with, figuring out what that next path is after life. And I started to actually one-on-one mentor, excuse me, sorry, survivors and really just survivors at the time, because I knew that some patients just weren't ready for that yet. So I was just really targeting survivors. And then I was actually charging them because I was just part of my coaching program that I wanted to do. And I just didn't feel right. I just was like, even though I was making an impact in every one of their lives, every one of their lives, I was making a huge impact. But for me, as a faith-based person, I was praying a lot. And God just said, this isn't exactly the path I want you in. You're not doing anything wrong, but this isn't the right path. I know you want to make a massive, everlasting impact in this world. And it's just not this route. And that's what led me to my Facebook group. And from there, man, it's just been my biggest thing. The reason I'm getting a podcast is because I need to get exposure. And my biggest goal is I want to make someday like a massive collaboration, whether it's a celebrity, whether it's a big organization, a big brand name, and figure out how to take this community to the stratosphere, change the direction 
of the cancer culture for after cancer for survivorship. And, and, you know, my group has patients, has survivors and it has caregivers because I think everybody needs each other at this point. But, you know, yeah, that's just been my main goal. And that's been my journey so far. That's amazing, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really excited. Like I said, when we talked a little bit before, I'm excited to collaborate a few things. I mean, I, th- I think you encapsulated this a little bit, but really specifically, you know, when you talk about driving your energy forward, staying on course, not allowing to things to pull you off track. For me, the strongest driver has been a really clear why, why I'm doing it. You know, is it and and it's evolving. It's never been stagnant for me. And I'm always trying to go and re-examine what am I, you know, what am I doing? I, I don't I really try to take a look back at at the last 15 years, 12 years. And you know, I can see where there's times where a lot of it, some of it was driven by ego. There's dangers in embracing that savior complex. Like I'm gonna help everybody, I'm gonna save, or you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna spare a person pain. And for me, that's evolved and just a, by levels of awareness. I don't want to be a savior to anyone. I don't want to, I don't want to rob them of the most valuable thing in their life, which could be that total rock bottom moment, which they need. You know, I do think as guides or a role model, how we show up can be really, I look at it like showing up as a lighthouse. Like I'm over here, I'm speaking my truth. This is what works for me. This has been amazing for cancer and scar tissue and energy. And I'm just going to speak that. And I hope people... I hope people hear the message and are drawn to, like you said, take some action around the clarity of the message that I'm delivering. So I'd love to hear your why. What keeps you from falling off track and keeping an eye on that due north? Absolutely, man. I think your why is so important. And as you just said, it's changing. It's never just the exact same thing. You know, As you progress in your journey, you know, you might actually reach your why at some point. And you might actually be able to progress it and make it even bigger. Your dreams get bigger and bigger and bigger and they escalate. But for me, my my biggest why right now is when I took cancer off of me and I focused on others and to see, to, to feel the pain that some of these people are going through is the exact thing that pushes me forward every day because I know I truly can feel some of the pain in this group for people. And when I can actually feel that, It's like this energy. I love how you put energy. Energy is massive. It's this energy that comes through me that no matter how difficult times are and how uncertain my path is, I think a lot of people let go and they don't go forward is because they don't know, they don't have the clarity and they don't know exactly where. And that's why your why is so important. It pushes me past those uncertain points. And that is where all my breakthroughs come in. The second you're willing to face the unknown, is the second a massive opportunity or breakthrough is going to come in your life. And, and that's why I use my energy and my emotional connection with others that are in similar situations as me to help them push forward. And I'll tell you, you want to know what my actual biggest goal is here is to build a foundation at some point in my life where I can financially help these families whose young adults have been impacted by cancer. Mm-hmm. That is my ultimate goal. And I know right now, this is part of that journey. Because I'm getting in the community, I'm helping others. And I know that for a reason is because I was lucky enough to be blessed financially, but I know the burden that it can take on certain people. And I don't want that to be a burden when your main focus should be on health. And you have these insurance companies and all these people ask, you know, you're, you're broke after these crazy experiences because of all these surgeries and unexpected doctor's visits. And I don't want that for people. And I want to help them through that. So 
those are my two biggest whys. And I actually get emotional sometimes when I, when I think about that, because you know, you know, I think, you know, when you find your why, cause you, you either get really emotional, you get goosebumps, or you just have this burning energy inside of you that listen, I don't give a shit what it takes, but I'm breaking through that wall to get to where I need to go. And that's, that's been me. Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it. It's like the there's this feeling where the energy is just channeling through you. It's pretty much an unlimited cup that it's not about having any anything you need to draw from for the day. It's just going, 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 going. That's super, super, yeah, resonant with me. And I feel in the same place. Matt, I wonder, do you, I don't know if you ever uh, think about this. You know, I I look at the world after being, yeah, really in the last two years, really studying energy, energy healing, magnetic fields. And there's a lot of the quantum physics involved in that quantum entanglement. You know, the idea that we, we talk about everything, every religious experience has a, has a, has a, a story around oneness and coming back to one um, physics has a story around oneness, like the fabric of the universe. And I think about stories when you said your puppy, you know, that your puppy went through this very similar experience, The puppies are soulmates. You know, they look at you with this unconditional love. Do you ever think about that or the meaning behind that you're one of the most important lovable things in your life, having cancer, and then you're launched into this very same experience? Is that, do you have a hit, intuitive hit around anything that could be there? You know, I really think like between like karma and between like things that you feel super closely related to, I, I really do feel that there is an energy force and an emotional connection. You know, for me... I really think that with cancer and things like that, mental health and energy has an actual correlation with it. If you, before I met Lauren was at one of the most stressful points in my entire life. And then next thing you know, a couple months later, I'm diagnosed with cancer. I don't think that it was just randomly cancer. I think that certain things like in your body and how you react to things in your energy and your, your stress levels really does matter. Um, but to kind of go to the point with, you know, Duke and everything, you know, man, it's a tough question. I, I think there is some type of like connection with it, like energy wise, for sure. Like with me and Lauren, all these dates and everything. I don't I don't look at these as coincidence. I look at it as a lot of like faith and, you know, this the universe of just really putting this bond between people. You know, I've had dreams of like seeing my dog again and things like that. And it's been pretty wild, like emotional dreams where I'd wake up like crying. And it's just weird. But yeah, man, I, that's pretty much what I can kind of express on it. But I do think there is an emotional and mental connection to it. I always come back to so many great scientists, thought leaders, and in, in their they always look at this idea that cancer is a is an undigested emotion that the body had placed somewhere. And there's a I think the book is called Cured. It's a and I've referenced it before. It's a doctor who actually went out to disprove radical remissions of like stage four cancers all over the world. And he saw this very similarity with people bringing awareness to the initial wound or the initial trauma and that they would have these incredible reoccurrences with the, with the emotions that set them into the disease state. What have you done that's different to manage your, the emotional body? You said as, as men that your experience was that you didn't want to express vulnerability, that outward show of emotions. How have you changed that for yourself post-cancer? Two big things. Number one, like you said, letting go. But when you when you're ready to let go, it's not like what we're doing right now. You don't just come on a podcast and just start sharing your stuff. Like I could have never done this three years ago. No way in hell. So it's like like what I was telling you before. Start with the one person that you know you can trust in your life. Just start with one person, the person you feel comfortable with that you know will at least sit down and listen to you. 
either that person or a person that you feel can relate. One of those two people. That's why we created this group because a lot of people feel like they can't open up to their spouses because they can't relate. Other people, they feel like, okay, I was able to open up to a person that really will sit down and listen. They may not know the exact emotional journey I've been on, but they, they lived on the other side. Like Lauren, for example, she was there every day. She stayed with me during chemo. She stayed with me during the hospital. So she had a, a different experience, but we had that energy and emotional connection together. And when I was able to open that up to her, it helped so much. And that's what allowed me to feel more freely to open up to others. And the second thing was you need to surround yourself with the right people. Your net worth is your network. Your network is your net worth. Um, you know, you have all those sayings. You are the average of the five people you hang around with the most, all of these things. And I truly believe it. And when I started to really get into dive into with entrepreneurs who are always, you know, they're positive, uplifting. Yeah. They had setbacks. They would, that was the powerful thing about them is they weren't afraid to share them. They're not, they're, they let their ego go. That's a big thing. When you can let your ego go and you can just be fully yourself and be fully authentic that's the second that you can finally be yourself. And I think the, the best way of doing that is by surrounding yourself with people that are going to be on the same wavelength and the same path as you in life. Because if you're constantly around, I'll be honest, Freddie, I lost no friends during cancer. And I lost all my friends that I had lost that I was super close to from high school and stuff like that was not from cancer. It was when I decided to go on a different path in my life because they were, they were waiting for me to have the day where I could go out and drink with them every weekend, talk about our glory days in high school, you know, gossip about other people. And I said, I'm not, I'm not wasting my, my time on that. I'm done. I'm, I'm making an impact in this world. And they didn't like it. And I have, oh, don't let me run though. I have incredible friends who supported me, but I've had friends I've lost because of that. And that right there is the is my best way of explaining you need to be around people who are going to help you and uplift you. And I made new friends in the process. So that would be my answer to that question. Your your tribe sets your vibe. Exactly. Matt, I could talk to you for hours and we should totally do a we should totally do a Facebook live and just swap like operation stories in your <laughs> someday. Yeah, in my group, I would love to do a Facebook live with you, Freddie. Seriously. We got to do it. And we didn't really even get into, you know, we, we didn't get into, to, uh, th there's so many cool things coming down the pipe for management of not only scar tissue surgeries, things that are prolonging life and cancer patients, you know, this season, we're going to talk about deuterium depleted water, which has great efficacy. We always talk about cancer having a root in metabolic dysfunction because our metabolism is going to be the driver of excess energy, which allows our immune system to function as intended red light therapy, hyperbaric chambers. There's so many things out there that you can do because as you guys just heard Matt's story, it's like, it's like as incredible as anything anybody's body has ever been through on planet earth. And, you know, for your next, for your hundred years on the planet, it's my belief and experience that we do need to incorporate some of these unique technologies, right? You know, there's, there's something to be said for, you know, so one, one thing I've noticed in, in toxicity testing on my body is still the presence of cisplatin, you know, etoposide cisplatin, the chemo based therapy 12 years later. So we can continue to work with the body from, from a new level of awareness, you know, oncology is like this emergency situation and then long-term wellness care, I think is our responsibility. And that's what really, you know, that's what really I'm excited to bring to the group and offer all the stuff I research and find. And Matt, 
point and your not your level of knowledge on this stuff is incredible like i can already tell just by you speaking like it would be mind-blowing to a lot of people because i need to learn from it too man so i would love to just hop on and just pick your brain on a lot of that stuff so I'm so excited to collaborate. And this is, for me, the another driver of making this all real and fun and resonant in my heart is doing it with other people. You know, I often say you can have whatever you're going to bring in to make yourself feel better. It's lonely in your room alone. You want to do it with friends. And that's why your group is so great. And the community you're building is so, so important. Matt, I, I have a, one more question to ask you. The Beautifully Broken podcast, what does it mean to you to be beautifully broken? Ooh. Beautifully broken to me means that it allows me to have new gratitude and perspective towards anything I go towards in life. I've really learned, I really truly have, I really truly have learned to eliminate a lot of the, the little things we usually stress over. And it allows me to focus, put all my time and energy onto the people and the experiences that I want in my life. And I think that's what beautifully broken really allows you to do. It allows you to look at life in a new lens and, you know, have this beautiful picture of, of what, you know, your life and the people you really care about around you can accomplish. So beautiful. I got one more for you because you're such a good speaker. Go back and the mat that is in the hospital bed where your hands are tied down to the sides, you've got the mesh over your spleen that popped out. Go back and give yourself what would you say to that mat? in that situation where you're really, really struggling, you can go back and have a message and a little lesson yourself now. Your setback is your setup to something so much greater in your life. And just know that this, this rock bottom situation is setting you up for something you could never imagine. It's something you dreamed of as maybe when you were a kid or things like that. But just know that God has a massive, massive purpose for you. And one day you will look back and you will have this new appreciation and drive because of this challenging moment. So just remember this setback is actually a setup. Beautiful, Matt. Perfect spot to end. Thank you for being a guest on the Beautifully Broken podcast. Totally groundbreaking. Namaste. Does anybody think that these health upgrades sound expensive? They can be an investment. But after truly learning how money works, the inflationary nature of our fiat currency, combined with the fact that big banks charged, are you ready for this? 34 billion to the poorest members of society. I knew I was ready for a shift. In my opinion, money is energy. And I've seen too many scenarios which compromised health is attached to financial distress. The energy is not flowing. And to break that cycle, it's gonna take a new level of thinking to come up with a different result. Enter Celsius Network. This is my bank that's not a bank. Celsius is a place to store cryptocurrency safely and get an incredible return on your stored wealth. They share up to 80% of the revenue with the users, not the board of trustees, so you can earn up to 17.78% APY distributed weekly. I'd like to see a bank beat that. So what does that look like? Every Monday, I get a direct deposit of the money I've earned as a reward for joining the community on my beautifully designed app with this high-end customer interface. I've made over $2,600 by joining Celsius in just over nine months. I've never made that in the history of time through my old, air quote, big bank. So they have 0% in withdrawal fees over 500,000 users and 10 billion in assets that are insured, 
And you can also use your crypto or borrow dollars or stable coins with loans starting at just 1%. That's correct. You can borrow from yourself and keep your own money and pay it back over the next six months to a year. Say it with me. Financial freedom is back on the market. So check out the link in the show notes to join Celsius. I've got a special offer to earn $30 in stable coins by joining the community. Please don't take this as financial advice and everything I offer is an opportunity to do your own research and make the best choice for your abundance. Let the green energy flow so you can do more good in the world. My friends, you made it to the end of the podcast and here we are in season three. I think our relationship is developing into something really special. So there are two ways to support this show. The first is by joining my membership program at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Freddie Set Go. Here you'll get early access to all the podcasts, bonus episodes, video clips, discounted coaching, and free webinars with thought leaders in the wellness and transformational technology industry. It's a chance to take your listening experience and put it into action. The second way is to support the podcast through freddysetgo.com and download the Beautifully Broken Buyer's Guide. This is my new ebook, which is a collection of transformational technology, supplements, and courses that have worked for me, my clients, and my family. These are things that I've found to be incredibly helpful in my healing journey, and I put them all in one book. Most of them, most of them offer significant discounts just by clicking the link or using the discount code. And please know they don't cost you anything extra. And at the same time, they support the podcast through affiliations. My heart thanks you for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here with us. If you've enjoyed today's show, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. And if you want to connect with me directly, I'm on Instagram at Go or buymeacoffee.com forward slash Go. Last message from my vast team of lawyers that I pay a lot of money for. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only. By listening, you agree not to use the information found here as medical advice to treat any medical condition in yourself, your family members, or others. Always consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having challenges with. That's it for today. Our closing the world is changing. We need you at your very best. So take the steps today to always be upgrading. Remember, while life is pain, putting the fractured pieces back together is a beautiful process. I love you. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel. Namaste. Namaste.